As I was walking on London Street one misty morning early, I heard a fair young maiden cry, Lord save me the life of Georgie. Hello Tigers, it's me, Finn J.D. John, Principal Creative at Pulplet Productions, and we're about to kick off a brand new podcast which I think you are going to love. It's called Gothic Dreadful Theater 3000, a reference to one of my favorite TV shows from the 90s, and of course it's come back. It's here today, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Now you know MST3K, right? Poor Joel and his robot pals stuck in an empty movie theater being forced to watch terrible old movies like Warrior of the Lost World or The Mysterions from Mars and making sarcastic wisecracks the whole time. Well, GDT3K is like that, only with two fewer robots, two more humans, and campy melodramatic old gothic penny dreadfuls instead of bad movies. Next month, when we start this off, I will be joined by my day job colleague and legendary local journalist Jennifer Moody and fellow publishing executive Christopher Jerome. Chris, by the way, is the owner of Dark Tidings Press and author of the Gods and Men series of high fantasy novels. Let's talk about our gothic novel. We're starting out with Varney the Vampire or The Feast of Blood, a romance of exciting interest by Malcolm Reimer and or Thomas Prescott Prest. Spoiler alert, it's Malcolm Reimer. This is not Prest style. But this is going to keep us going for some time, after which we'll probably move on to Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Varney the Vampire is probably the best known of the old Penny Dreadfuls. If you're a horror fan, chances are you know about Varney the Vampire but haven't ever actually read it. Why? Well, because it's not super readable. In novel form. It's very long, for one thing, and internally inconsistent. See, this thing was written in serial form, chapter by chapter, as it went along. The author was working on four or five other serials at the same time, so sometimes he got confused about who was who and what was doing. And these are flaws that hit you over the head like a two-by-four when you binge read them, like modern readers usually do. After all, Varney is usually experienced as a novel, reading all 232 chapters, one right after the next. But that's not how Londoners experience this story. They got it in blocks of one to four chapters a week for three straight years, 1845, 1846, and 1847. In other words, this isn't so much a novel as a soap opera. Few readers remembered in late 1846 that Henry Bannerworth had started out with a brother named George who completely disappeared after chapter 40 or so, or that Henry's ancestor started out named Marmaduke Bannerworth, changed his name to Runnegate Bannerworth, and then switched back to Marmaduke again. Even fewer cared. Last month was a long time ago, and meanwhile the story was awesome. People probably got beat up and their lunch money taken away for pointing these things out. Anyway, people loved it. And frankly, it's much better written than you might think. You'll see what I mean after we get started. My co-hosts won't be joining me until next week. When they do, we'll be recording this together, all of us listening to the story on headphones and interjecting sarcastic remarks as the muse strikes us. This kind of thing is thirsty work, but luckily I have a small cask of aged Amontillado that I'm willing to share. (laughs) That's what's coming soon. To tide you over until then... And as a sort of introduction to what we have to work with, I'm proud to herewith present to you the first chapter of Varney the Vampire, or The Feast of Blood, without commentary. 
In our first episode, scheduled to drop on February 1st, we'll cover the first four chapters, so this one will be a repeated then, with commentary. And now, without further ado, Chapter 1 of Varney the Vampire, or The Feast of Blood, a romance of exciting interest. Chapter 1 How Graves Give Up Their Dead, and How the Night Air Hideous Grows With Shrieks Midnight, the hailstorm, the dreadful visitor, the vampire. The solemn tones of an old cathedral clock have announced midnight. The air is thick and heavy. A strange, death-like stillness pervades all nature, like the ominous calm which precedes some more than usually terrific outbreak of the elements, they seem to have paused even in their ordinary fluctuations to gather a terrific strength for the great effort. A faint peal of thunder now comes from far off. Like a signal gun for the battle of the winds to begin, it appeared to awaken them from their lethargy, and one awful warring hurricane swept over a whole city producing more devastation in the four or five minutes it lasted than would a half-century of ordinary phenomena. It was as if some giant had blown upon some toy town and scattered many of the buildings before the hot blast of his terrific breath, for as suddenly as that blast of wind had come did it cease and all was still and calm as before. Sleepers awakened and thought that what they had heard must be the confused chimera of a dream. They trembled and turned to sleep again. All is still, still as the very grave. Not a sound breaks the magic of repose. What is that? A strange pattering noise, as of a million fairy feet. It is hail. Yes, a hailstorm has burst over the city. Leaves are dashed from the trees mingled with small boughs. Windows that lie most opposed to the direct fury of pelting particles of ice are broken and the rapt repose that before was so remarkable in its intensity is exchanged for a noise which in its accumulation drowns every cry of surprise or consternation which here and there arose from persons who found their houses invaded by the storm. Now and then, too, there would come a sudden gust of wind that in its strength, as it blew laterally, would for a moment hold millions of the hailstones suspended in mid-air, but it was only to dash them with redoubled force in some new direction where more mischief was to be done. Oh, how the storm raged! Hail, rain, wind! It was, in very truth, an awful night. There was an antique chamber in an ancient house. Curious and quaint carvings adorned the walls, and the large chimney-piece is a curiosity of itself. The ceiling is low, and a large bay window, from roof to floor, looks to the west. The window is latticed and filled with curiously painted glass and rich stained pieces which send in a strange yet beautiful light when sun or moon shines into the apartment. There is but one portrait in that room, though the walls seem paneled for the express purpose of containing a series of pictures. That portrait is of a young man with a pale face, a stately brow, and a strange expression about the eyes which no one cared to look on twice. There is a stately bed in that chamber, of carved walnut wood is it made, rich in design and elaborate in execution, one of those works which owe their existence to the Elizabethan era. 
It is hung with heavy silken and damask furnishing. Nodding feathers are at its corners. Covered with dust are they, and they lend a funereal aspect to the room. The floor is of polished oak. God, how the hail dashes on the old bay window. Like an occasional discharge of mimic musketry, it comes clashing, beating, and cracking upon the small panes. But they resist it, their small size saves them. The wind, the hail, the rain, expend their fury in vain. The bed in that old chamber is occupied. A creature formed in all fashions of loveliness lies in a half-sleep upon that ancient couch, a girl, young and beautiful as a spring morning. Her long hair has escaped from its confinement and streams over the blackened coverings of the bedstead. She has been restless in her sleep, for the clothing of the bed is in much confusion. One arm is over her head, the other hangs nearly off the side of the bed near to which she lies. A neck and bosom that would have formed a study for the rarest sculptor that ever Providence gave genius to were half disclosed. She moaned slightly in her sleep, and once or twice the lips moved as if in prayer. At least one might judge so, for the name of him who suffered for all came once faintly from them. She had endured much fatigue, and the storm does not awaken her. But it can disturb the slumbers it does not possess the power to destroy entirely. The turmoil of the elements wakes the senses, although it cannot entirely break the repose they have lapsed into. Oh, what a world of witchery was in that mouth, slightly parted and exhibiting within the pearly teeth that glistened even in the faint light that came from that bay window. How sweetly the long silken eyelashes lay upon the cheek. Now she moves, and one shoulder is entirely visible. Whiter, fairer than the spotless clothing of the bed on which she lies is the smooth skin of that fair creature just budding into womanhood, and in that transition state which presents to us all the charms of the girl, almost of the child, with the more matured beauty and gentleness of advancing years. Was that lightning? Yes. An awful, vivid, terrifying flash, then a roaring peal of thunder, as if a thousand mountains were rolling one over the other in the blue vault of heaven. Who sleeps now in that ancient city? Not one living soul. The dread trumpet of eternity could not more effectually have awakened anyone. The hail continues, the wind continues, the uproar of the elements seems at its height. Now she awakens that beautiful girl in the antique bed. She opens those eyes of celestial blue, and a faint cry of alarm bursts from her lips. At least it is a cry which, amid the noise and turmoil without, sounds but faint and weak. She sits upon the bed and presses her hands upon her eyes. Heavens, what a wild torrent of wind and rain and hail! The thunder likewise seems intent upon awakening sufficient echoes to last until the next flash of forked lightning should again produce the wild concussion of the air. She murmurs a prayer, a prayer for those she loves best. The names of those dear to her gentle heart come from her lips. She weeps and prays. She thinks then of what devastation the storm must surely produce. And to the great God of heaven she prays for all living things. Another flash, a wild, blue, bewildering flash of lightning streams across that bay window, for an instant bringing out every color in it with terrible distinctness. 
A shriek bursts from the lips of the young girl, and then with eyes fixed upon that window which in another moment is all darkness, and with such an expression of terror upon her face as it had never before known, she trembled, and the perspiration of intense fear stood upon her brow. What? What was it? she gasped. Real? A delusion? Oh, God, what was it? A figure, tall and gaunt, endeavoring from the outside to unclasp the window. I saw it. That flash of lightning revealed it to me. It stood the whole length of the window. There was a lull of the wind. The hail was not falling so thickly. Moreover, it now fell what there was of it, straight. And yet a strange, clattering sound came upon the glass of that long window. It could not be a delusion. She is awake, and she hears it. What can produce it? Another flash of lightning, another shriek. There could now be no delusion. A tall figure is standing on the ledge immediately outside the long window. It is its fingernails upon the glass that produces the sound so like the hail, now that the hail has ceased. Intense fear paralyzed the limbs of the beautiful girl. That one shriek is all she can utter. With hand clasped, a face of marble, a heart beating so wildly in her bosom that each moment it seems as if it would break its confines, eyes distended and fixed upon the window she waits, frozen with horror. The pattering and clattering of the nails continue. No word is spoken, and now she fancies she can trace the darker form of that figure against the window, and she can see the long arms moving to and fro, feeling for some mode of entrance. What strange light is that which now gradually creeps up into the air, red and terrible, brighter and brighter it grows. The lightning has set fire to a mill, and the reflection of the rapidly consuming building falls upon that long window. There can be no mistake. The figure is there, still feeling for an entrance and clattering against the glass with its long nails that appear as if the growth of many years had been untouched. She tries to scream again, but a choking sensation comes over her and she cannot. It is too dreadful. She tries to move. Each limb seems weighted down by tons of lead. She can but in a hoarse, faint whisper cry, Help! 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 And that one word she repeats like a person in a dream. The red glare of the fire continues. It throws up the tall, gaunt figure in hideous relief against the tall window. It shows, too, upon the one portrait that is in the chamber and the portrait appears to fix its eye upon the attempting intruder, while the flickering light from the fire makes it look fearfully lifelike. A small pane of glass is broken, and the form from without introduces a long, gaunt hand which seems utterly destitute of flesh. The fastening is removed, and one half of the window, which opens like folding doors, is swung wide open upon its hinges. And yet she could not scream. She could not move. Help, 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 was all she could say. But oh, that look of terror that sat upon her face. It was dreadful. A look to haunt the memory for a lifetime. A look to obtrude itself upon the happiest moments and turn them to bitterness. The figure turns half round and the light falls upon its face. It is perfectly white, perfectly bloodless. 
The eyes look like polished tin, the lips are drawn back, and the principal feature next to those dreadful eyes is the teeth, the fearful-looking teeth projecting like those of some wild animal, hideously, glaringly white and fang-like. It approaches the bed with a strange, gliding movement. It clashes together the long nails that literally appear to hang from the finger ends. No sound comes from its lips. Is she going mad, that young and beautiful girl exposed to so much terror? She has drawn up all her limbs. She cannot even now say help. The power of articulation is gone, but the power of movement has returned to her. She can draw herself slowly along to the other side of the bed from that towards which the hideous appearance is coming. But her eyes are fascinated. The glance of a serpent could not have produced a greater effect upon her than did the fixed gaze of those awful metallic-looking eyes that were bent down on her face. Crouching down so that the gigantic height was lost and the horrible protruding white face was the most prominent object, came on the figure. What was it? What did it want there? What made it look so hideous, so unlike an inhabitant of the earth and yet be on it? Now she has got to the verge of the bed, and the figure pauses. It seemed as if when it paused she lost the power to proceed. The clothing of the bed was now clutched in her hands with unconscious power. She drew her breath short and thick. Her bosom heaves and her limbs tremble, yet she cannot withdraw her eyes from that marble-looking face. He holds her with his glittering eye. The storm has ceased. All is still. The winds are hushed, the church clock proclaims the hour of one. A hissing sound comes from the throat of the hideous being, and he raises his long, gaunt arms. The lips move. He advances. The girl places one small foot onto the floor. She is unconsciously dragging the clothing with her. The door of the room is in that direction. Can she reach it? Has she power to walk? Can she withdraw her eyes from the face of the intruder and so break the hideous charm? God of heaven, is it real, or some dream so like reality as to nearly overturn judgment forever? The figure has paused again, and half on the bed and half out of it, that young girl lies trembling. Her long hair streams across the entire width of the bed. As she has slowly moved along, she has left it streaming across the pillows. The pause lasted about a minute. Oh, what an age of agony. That minute was indeed enough for madness to do its full work in. With a sudden rush that could not be foreseen, and with a strange howling cry that was enough to awaken terror in every breast, the figure seized the long tresses of her hair and twining them round his bony hands he held her to the bed. Then she screamed, heaven granted her then power to scream. Shriek followed shriek in rapid succession. The bedclothes fell in a heap by the side of the bed. She was dragged by her long silken hair completely onto it again. Her beautifully rounded limbs quivered with the agony of her soul. The glassy, horrible eyes of the figure ran over that angelic form with a hideous satisfaction. Horrible profanation. He drags her head to the bed's edge. He forces it back by the long hair still entwined in his grasp. With a plunge, he seizes her neck in his fang-like teeth. A gush of blood and a hideous sucking sound follows. 
The girl has swooned, and the vampire is at his hideous repast. That's all we've got for today. Thanks for listening, and check back after February 1st, 2020, for our first official episode covering chapters 1 through 4 of Varney the Vampire. This podcast is by Pulplet Productions in collaboration with Dark Tidings Press. For details or to browse our respective catalogs, hit us up at darktidingspress.com and pulp-lit.com. This podcast is covered by a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 International License, except for the theme music which is used by permission. Speaking of which, our theme music is a traditional English ballad called Georgie by Four Dollar Shoe, an old-time mountain music fiddle band out of Seattle, and there's more where that came from at fourdollarshoe.com. That's the number four followed by the words dollarshoe.com, by the way. That's it for tonight's introductory taste of the gothic, dreadful theater 3000 podcast, Tigers. I'll be back at you with two friends and four chapters in a couple of weeks. Until then, uh... You have to have a tagline for these things, right? Stay dreadful and don't get vampired. No, I think that one's already taken. Okay, anyway, see ya. Bye.